This is a place called Bastrop, a podcast focused on the people in a small town in Central Texas, a place both unique and characteristic of the state's history, with a cultural integrity that unfolds with each passing year. This is a place called Bastrop. This episode introduces our third host, Olga Maestruk. She was born in Russia, has been in the United States for 20 years, and lived in Bastrop for three years. Olga's a graphic artist, and with her husband, Jonas, co-owns an indie record label. We are very pleased to have her as part of our team. Olga. Thank you, Ken. I'm excited to be a part of this podcast. It is my pleasure to chat with Kevin Mobby, also known as Lippy. He is a record store owner and has a fascinating life story, coming from England and eventually settling in Bastrop, Texas. Hi, Lippy. Welcome. Hello, Olga. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. So uh, as listeners will notice that you have not a typical American accent. <laughs> Let's, unlike yours. <laughs> unlike mine. Let's start from the start. How did you get to U.S.? Where are you coming from? How did we get here? Okay, well, we go back in time. It was December in London, 1981. Margaret Thatcher was in office. I had just lost my job. I didn't have a girlfriend. I had a motorcycle as my only means of transport, and it was sleeting and raining and miserable, and I just decided I needed to get out of there for a little while. A typical London summer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I'd actually known a person who would visit London every summer, and and we'd become friends. And then some of my close friends came to visit America. They just toured around America, and they bumped into her. And then I decided to come over and visit her. That was the day after the Rolling Stones played the Superdome. Oh, wow. And everybody... As everybody will know that exact well, date. <laughs> well, the, the, the reason I say that is because everybody thought I looked and sounded a bit like Mick Jagger, who had been ah. in the press a lot. So it's because I was, you know, young and skinny and, and with an English accent. And but do pants. you have moves like Jagger? Well, I have tight pants like Jagger. <laughs> always have, always will. <laughs> so I came to see her and uh, just visit her as friends. And she started introducing me to her friends. And I met this beautiful woman and I... Uh, Kind of fell in love and I stayed. So that's all in New Orleans. This is New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I stayed in New Orleans and one thing led to another. I ended up getting a really good, fun job with a punk band called the Red Rockers. Well, you knew how to dress them. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they, uh, they needed a roadie and they asked me if I wanted a job. I was standing in a record shop and this guy who also knew Nancy came up and said, Hey man, do you want a job? And I said, doing what? And he said, just driving around America and playing punk rock. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. Let's do that. Yeah, I got a job. Well, you got a job and you got a job seeing U.S. That's pretty cool, especially after moving here right away. Yeah, this was like two months after I arrived. I ended up getting this job. So we toured all over the U.S. and then ended up in San Francisco for six weeks. They were making a record. And so I just got to wander around San Francisco for six weeks, and that was great. Not bad. Yeah, and then I got back to New Orleans, and I ended up just staying. 
Things got a bit complicated. <laughs> I had some problems with immigration and I made a choice to live as an undocumented alien. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a choice I made. And then I was bailed out, believe it or not, by Ronald Reagan. He had a, an immigration amnesty in 1986. Oh, wow. And I applied for amnesty and got it and ended up with a green card. So then I could get like a, a real job. So I started working in record shops, which was really my, my first goal and love. Yes, so, so that's how we get to Lippy, the record store connection uh, with you. Yeah, so I worked with this legendary record dealer in New Orleans called Record Ron. He left a legacy and everybody who worked for Record Ron went on to open their own record shops. It was a good community in New Orleans with all the record stores. We were all friends. That made life fun and it made me want to just do that for the rest of my life. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay, well, we are in Texas. We are. So, uh, and you're not in New Orleans. No. So what made you move here? Well, Katrina, Hurricane Katrina changed my life. It was a life-changing experience. I was living a pretty soft life in New Orleans and then I just got tossed out by Hurricane Katrina and my whole life changed. Mm -hmm. So the hurricane came through and it was a world-class windstorm. It was terrible. I mean, it took the roof off the Superdome. It broke every piece of glass in downtown New Orleans and people were sort of staggering around in shock after Katrina. It hit on a Sunday evening. And then for a day and a half, everybody was just staggering around, not knowing quite what was going on. And then the levee broke and the entire city flooded with like 30, 40 feet of water. It was awful. Most of the neighborhoods and most of the poor neighborhoods were just devastated. And I, I know people that spent two weeks on a rooftop, had to break through their attic roof and lay on a rooftop until a helicopter finally came to find them. It was awful, but I wasn't there. I had evacuated. I was lucky enough to have owned a car so I yeah. could get out. And But anybody I knew that didn't have a car who stayed there had a terrible experience. It was awful. Yeah, I think most of us can remember those images that we saw in the news. And that was back in 2005. 16 you... years this month, 25th of August. Yeah. Yeah. You went west. You went to Texas. Well, no, I went north of Alexandria, Louisiana. I ended up in a Pentecostal church. So I didn't have a cell phone. The strangest thing that happened was the cell phone towers blew down in Katrina and they never got rerouted. So anybody that had a 504 phone number didn't have any cell phone service. I was incommunicado for six weeks. My phone did not ring and I couldn't use my phone. And then it rang and the first person to call me was a friend of mine in Austin. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm coming to visit you. <laughs> And I got out of there as fast as I could. And I went to Austin. Well, I went back to get my stuff. And then we went back in and saw the devastation. It was terrible. And I didn't want to live there anymore. And I just moved on. I loaded up a U-Haul and took all my records and all of my possessions, everything I could fit in the truck and moved to Texas. Yeah. But you moved to Austin then. You didn't really move... To yeah. straight to Bastrop? No, I did not move straight to Bastrop. I moved to Austin and I was in Austin for two years and uh, I just couldn't get a foothold. Mm -hmm. Could not get a foothold. Uh, Austin had already started its progression towards being overly expensive and difficult to maneuver. The biggest culture shock for me was the car culture. Then I found myself sitting in traffic for hours and hours. I'm not equipped to deal with traffic. I thought I would just move to Austin and do the same thing. I thought I'd fit right in. 
because I'd been to Austin several times. I would come to Austin twice a year for the Austin Record Show, and I loved it. I thought it was great, but it had changed. And by the time 2005 came around, it was getting very difficult to find a affordable place to rent for housing and impossible to find an affordable place to rent for retail. Just couldn't do it. And so I struggled with online sales. Couldn't really make a living doing that. And I just decided to, to move out. And I rented this strange warehouse in Cedar Creek. And I thought I would run a, an online operation. And I just fell into a strange depression. And for five years, I just <laughs> sat by myself. I didn't have any friends. It was strange. It was, it was very strange. And then uh, I met a very nice lady in Austin, but she lived in Bastrop. And so we started dating. And eventually I moved to Bastrop to, to be with her and then had to get a job. So this whole thing parallels with the record business, which took a very strange turn in that everything went digital and nobody bought CDs. Nobody was buying hard format anymore. And so I basically just folded up shop and got a job working for Head Start, teaching little kids. And after 10 years, I noticed that people were buying vinyl again. And so I just decided that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get back into the record business. So it was about... 2010 when you moved to Bastrop? Yeah, about 2009, I think yeah. it was, yeah. So you were here for the fires then? I was here for the fires, yes. The great fires of 2011, it's yeah. going to be 10 year anniversary this year. And so I'm just curious, you know, that's another awful natural disaster. Did you have flashbacks? I don't like to compare disasters because they're all they're all relative to the people that, that suffer the disasters. It was awful. The the fires were awful, but it was a very different event, especially for me, because I wasn't really affected by it. Honestly, I didn't realize so many people lived in the woods around Bastrop. Right. <laughs> they I had, were hidden. <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, they, they lost something like 1,500 houses. I didn't know there were 1,500 houses on the ridge above Bastrop. I had no idea. But you were saying that the records industry was taking a dive, but here we are now and you own the record shop in downtown Bastrop, Astro Record Store. So what made you uh, go back to opening a shop after being devastated? It's who I am, it's what I do. And uh, I'm pushing 60 now, I'm gonna be 60 next birthday. And I didn't want to retire as a teacher. I wanted to retire as a record guy because that's how I identify. I've always been a record dealer. You know, even while I was teaching, I would do record shows and stuff like that, try and keep my hat in the ring. And I would work with people like Antones in Austin and stuff like that. I would consign stuff to them. So you and never really quit it? I didn't quit cold, it. No, cold turkey. no, no, it quit me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. But I've always wanted to, to keep going at it. And then I saw an opportunity and with encouragement from my new girlfriend, my current girlfriend, who has a different view of life. So we come back to the names thing is when I was teaching, everybody knew me as Kevin. Okay. And, and when I'm selling records, everybody knows me as Lippy. And so it's your alter ego. It is. It's your Bruce Wayne. It, 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 it is. And my girlfriend said to me, you know, she said, I don't think you should retire as Kevin. You need to retire as Lippy. Wise woman. Yeah. She's like, you need to get Lippy back in your life. And I said, you know, you're absolutely right. And she's like, just do it. What's the worst that can happen? You go back to teaching? And I said, yeah, you're right. Let me do it. And it's worked out fantastic with her help too. Yeah. Well, it takes a village. It's Yes. Know, it's oh, absolutely. And the, and the community too. The support of the community. So opening a record store in Bastrop, out of all places, after all of those years, were you scared? No, I wasn't really scared. 
because I'd been in a job for 10 years, but I knew I could go back there if that ever happened. And you had your inventory. You, you never kind of let go of your record. No, I never let go of it, and I got lucky. The format came around again. It just came around. People got back into vinyl. So what's the appeal of vinyl? Because we now have digital downloads. There's easier ways to consume music. We had cassettes, CDs, 8-tracks, you know, mini discs, you name it. And so vinyl is one of the oldest versions and yet it's the only one that's back. <laughs> yeah, I think this could be best described by a, a little anecdote I have. Uh, my friend and record collector and customer of mine, Jeff Hansen, who's in a band. He's totally into vinyl, but he was standing in the store one day and there was a young lady buying some records and he thought he was gonna be funny and he asked her, hey, what's the appeal of vinyl? Is it the expense or the inconvenience? And everybody <laughs> laughed, but it kind of stuck with me and I thought, you know what? It's exactly those two things. Those two things do come into play. They are part of the appeal. Because if you're buying something or using something because it's convenient, you're not getting the most enjoyment out of it. And you can line that same thought process with food. If you go to a drive-thru, you're not going to have a good meal and you're not going to enjoy it. It's going to be cheap and convenient. Those are the two reasons you don't enjoy it. Whereas if you go to a, a nice restaurant and sit at a chef's table and have a four course meal and take a lot of time and spend a lot of money on it, you're gonna have the night of your life. It's gonna be fantastic. And I think the investment of time and money and actually the inconvenience of getting up and doing something, partaking in something like turning a record over, I mean, that's an investment. And I think you're gonna find pleasure in it because of the investment. And I guess what you call inconvenience can also be interpreted as experience. Absolutely. So yeah. is that what you think people are back on the vinyl train? Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. And the most important thing that people who listen to records will tell you is that you listen to them. You don't just hear them. You're listening to them. And the quality is much, much better. You know, like the mid-range is something that's just been forgotten in digital format. Is a lot of high-end, a lot of bass, and so is streaming. It's a digital format, and so there's not as much mid-range as there is in an analog recording. And I think it's important you play it on vintage equipment designed for vinyl, and it's more immersive. Vinyl is more immersive because you sit and you listen to it, but it's also a wider sound spectrum, a deeper sound spectrum. You become one with the music. Deep listening is an art that I recommend to everybody. It's the difference between reading a book or watching a movie. You know, a book is more immersive. If you're watching a movie, you're just looking at something. Yeah, one is definitely more inconvenient than the other. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, you should never do something because it's convenient. <laughs> you should do it because you enjoy it. Life's short, you know? You should do everything because it's enjoyable, not because it's convenient. Or you should find enjoyment in everything you do, which might take a little bit of work. And what, what did the lady answer? What did she say to the question <laughs> that Jeff posed? <laughs> I think she said, shut up, granddad. <laughs> Yeah, she was a nice young lady who was just trying to enjoy music. She laughed. It was funny on the surface because it is inconvenient and expensive compared to a, a free download. So is that what's pulling younger people to that format, you think? Because they grew up in the age of internet. They did, but they buy music from the age of vinyl. You know, my most popular records are um, Fleetwood Mac or Queen. 
or ELO or um, Steely Dan, but I don't think that's a coincidence. Every single one of those bands is really well recorded and it sounds much, much better on vinyl. I think Rumours is more popular than it's ever been, the Fleetwood Mac album, but if you listen to it, it sounds great. I'm not a huge fan of the music. I like Lindsey Buckingham's guitar playing, but I'm not a huge fan of Fleetwood Mac, but I'm a huge fan of how that record sounds. It just sounds fantastic. And if you listen to it on anything but vinyl, you're missing out. I don't think it's a coincidence that well-recorded albums have become popular again with the Renaissance songs in vinyl. Do new albums sound good on vinyl? Because we obviously have newer bands now release stuff on vinyl. So does that sound as good as the OGs? Yes, I do think so because since the re-discovery of vinyl, I think people are now recording music to be released on vinyl. It's a different mix, or there should be. Yeah, so you, your shop is on Main Street in downtown, but it was just a block away around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> What's the story behind the move? And because you just moved literally feet away from here. Yeah, but it's a completely different situation. Yeah, so I was on a side street and then I got onto Main Street and I'm in one of the most impressive historical buildings in the region, not just in town, this beautiful 19th century mercantile, turn of the century bar in it. And, 17-foot ceilings and hardwood floors and exposed brick walls and it's beautiful and the building reminds me of New Orleans. So what happened with that? I'd had a couple of drinks at the 602 and I showed my girlfriend the bookstore. Uh, Ryan was putting the bookstore together but he hadn't opened because he was concerned about the uh, pandemic and uh, but it was all fixed up and I looked in the window I said look how beautiful this bookstore is and my girlfriend said you should ask him about renting the place next door. I said, no, he's not going to rent it to me. And she said, just, what's he going to say? Yes or no, right? So I said, okay. So I just literally wrote an email. It was a nine word email. I'm like, hey, want to rent me that building next door? And he wrote back and he said, yeah, sure. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I'd like to have a record shop next to the bookstore. And so I did. And uh, Ryan, you mean Ryan Holiday? Ryan Holiday, yes, yes, famed author. I knew him. Him and his wife, Samantha, would come into the store, usually on a Sunday. They'd be walking around with their kids and stuff, and he would come in the shop, and I didn't know who he was. He was a nice man, and then one day he said, yeah, I'm thinking about buying a building. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, he's like, yeah, I bought a building. And I'm like, you did? And he's like, yeah, that big double-fronted historical building on Main Street. And I'm like bought that building that's a good building <laughs> yeah it's a beautiful building and yeah yeah and now it's called painted porch bookstore yep yeah bookshop right, bookshop yeah all right right next to astro Records store that's that's right that's right so the buildings are co-join in the middle which is nice and uh yeah the building has a nice flow and stuff and and it makes sense you probably have similar kind of people that shop for books and shop for records or at least maybe there's a little bit of an overlap yeah we have a shared vision of eventually having coffee in there and having the porch open to people to come and work and hang out and stuff and sort of a cultural town square that's what we'd like so there's a big porch in the back and there's couches and chairs and so eventually we're gonna aim for that yeah well that sounds wonderful so you said ryan used to come by the shop so that kind of leads me to the next question as to what kind of people go to the shop. The shop attracts collectors from Houston 
and Austin. I get a lot of day trippers too, usually on Saturday and Sunday. A lot of spillover from the restaurants. We've got some destination restaurants in town, which is helpful. In the morning, I get people that are coming to Maxine's and or in the evenings, usually on weekends, I get people on their way to Storehouse or to 602 or neighbors on a Sunday afternoon. Places that people will drive an hour, an hour and a half to go to from the region. And, and then when they're here, those people will come and look at the bookshop or buy some records and vice versa. People will come to the record shop and then go get something to eat at 602 or something or have a drink at the uh, copper shop. We work together. We support each other. And the other thing is, is the people that own these businesses, most of us also frequent the other businesses in town too. You don't leave Bastrop, you just stay here. Well, I don't, I don't really have to leave Bastrop that much because a lot of the people that live in Bastrop make a good effort to make it the town they want to live in. A lot of people like the idea of having a record shop in their town and they support me by buying records for people in their family that listen to records or they sell me records. A lot of people just like having a record shop in their town. You definitely hit the nail on the head with the kind of community that we have, which I think makes the Bastrop town different than some of the other Texas towns. There is that strong sense of community where people try to support each other and they uh, try to get their friends to move here as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think what happens here, not as much as I'd like to see it, is that Bastrop has a tendency to work around the political polarization that is affecting a lot of the country. There's a, a fellow who remained nameless, but somebody on the Bastrop City Council, and him and I, we don't see eye to eye on a lot of national issues, but we understand that we both want the same thing at a local level. Yeah. So we work together to ensure that downtown thrives because he understands that's important to him, even though we don't agree on a lot of other things, but we just don't talk about those. Yeah, you can set your differences aside for the common greater good. And I think a lot of people in Bastrop do that. It wasn't until the election year that I knew the politics of a lot of people I know, and, and I was surprised by some. <laughs> by, by some of the revelations that the election brought out. Let's, let's agree to be kind and let's agree to work together to help the community be a happy place to live for everybody. Most recently, we've had a lot of artists and musicians and creative people that have been forced out of East Austin because of property taxes or rent hikes and stuff like that. So a lot of those people moved out here and and that's great. That's great for me because I enjoy music and art and stuff like that. And a lot of those people collect records, which is great too. I feel that I'm part of that community. And I hope that keeps happening. But I've noticed that there's huge increases in, in property values now. And a lot of those guys can't afford to move out anymore. Yeah, there's definitely those kind of growing pains. And hopefully we can balance it out. But I agree with you with the kind of people that have been moving here. It's been quite exciting seeing the creative types and bringing more interesting things to do and making Bastrop even more special than yeah. it is now. Yeah, and I, I hope that continues. And I also noticed that there's millionaires moving out here too, movie stars and musicians and DJs, and they make an intentional effort to bring something to the community. There's a very famous DJ that moved out here and he did a charity event in my shop, which was a huge success. And he didn't have to do that. He chose to do it because he wanted to be part of the community and really help out. 
there's a famous actor that's working towards an environmental goal, buying up a lot of land and then trying to return it to nature the best he can. So as long as everybody keeps bringing something that we can all enjoy. That's my hope, is that everybody who comes here brings something worthwhile with them. You're definitely part of that community and you're part of the cool things that have happened. I, I enjoy going to your record store a lot. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for taking your time today and talking to me and, you know, spreading the gospel of Bastro. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, Olga. It's a pleasure. All it's, right. It's a real pleasure. Thank you.